Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Five-star investing starts with NabTrade, proud sponsor of The Call. Find out more at nabtrade.com.au forward slash The Call. Good Wednesday afternoon to you. A warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios. This is The Call. Ten companies picked by you, two expert guests, all in the space of an hour on this November to the 24th. A look, uh, as always, we've got two great expert guests lined up to take us through the next 60 minutes or so. There they are. Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial, Andrew Page from strawman.com. Michael, how are you traveling on this Wednesday afternoon? Yeah, not bad. I mean, we're almost at the end of the year, it feels like. Um, the, the days are just sort of wasting away at the moment. But um, <laughs> markets are a little bit twitchy. Um, we've seen the US market come back a little bit after running up day after day. Um, but fingers crossed we can get through the next couple of weeks and have a decent end to the year. Decent end of the year. That's what you're hoping for, no doubt, Andrew. Where is most of your interest right now in terms of the Australian market? Our interest uh, remains where it's been for a long time at the small end of the market. We just think that there's some pretty good opportunity there. It's not uh, as highly scrutinized as elsewhere, and there's always pockets of opportunity. So uh, uh, it also makes for a um, uh, more exciting kind of investment journey, but uh, it keeps us busy. Okay, well, that's good. Let's get busy on this program, shall we? Harvey Norman is the stock of the day. Now, it is getting punished today after what you've got to call, uh, you know, pretty subdued sales update. Sales revenue down 8.8% for the period between July 1st and November 21st. It's preliminary profit at 217.4 million from July, and that's compared to 341 million last year. So Michael Wayne from Medallion, look, is this a case of huge comps compared to you know the depths of the pandemic and you know the sheer reality that we can't buy things uh forever right like there's only so many white goods there's only so many electronic goods that one person needs i think you hit the nail on the head i mean the the share price started the day off um, down about 5% or so. It's managed to, to resurrect itself as the day's gone on. Um, but the numbers themselves were uh, cycling through some very strong numbers from 12 months ago. So it's no surprise, really, for, from my standpoint, to see these numbers come back. And it just highlights some of the issues facing some of these retail companies that were beneficiaries of the COVID lockdowns. As you, you touch upon, um, there's way more options now out there to go and spend your money on things, whether it be travel or 
or whatever it may be, different experiences. So things like Harvey Norman might have to take a bit of a back seat uh, for the, the near term at least. Um, however, they're still on a, an upward trend. If you look at these numbers relative to their pre-COVID numbers, they're still very, very strong. Um, it's just relative to those boosted up figures from 12 months ago, uh, things are looking a little less, less rosy. So from my standpoint, not a, not a horrendous set of numbers by any means, but just cycling through some very strong numbers, which will make it very difficult, I think, to value these companies over the next couple of years, because we're not really sure where the dust is going to settle um, as we get back to a, a reality or back to a more normalised environment. So for mine, it's not a buy. Um, it's probably just a, a sell, to be honest, um, and focus your attention elsewhere. Okay, hopefully throughout the course of the afternoon, we get an idea of where else you would put your money. Interesting to note, though, Andrew, that the brokers are pretty favorable on this one. So buy from UBS, outperform from Macquarie, and buy from City as well. Credit Suisse is neutral. I mean, how, how do you think that the whole supply chain issues that we're constantly talking about and that we know are a reality? I mean, I was in a, a shop, more like a department store the other day, and, and there was not a lot on the shelves. I was looking for Barbies, I'll be honest. And there were not a lot on the shelves. Andrew, that wasn't looking for me, by the way. So supply chains and Harvey Norman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all this stuff has an impact. I mean, the real, I think the art of investing is being able to look through the short-term noise. This is a business that, that operates in a very discretionary retail space. There's always going to be swings and roundabouts. But what, what you really need to do if you're a long-term investor, which is kind of a, a you know the only way of, of investing as far as I'm concerned, is you've got to look through that. And this is a business that you know, it's had a really attractive history. I mean, over the long term, their per share earnings have grown at about 10% also, uh, double digit rates. They absolutely dominate the space that they operate in. They've moved overseas. Um, Australian companies don't have a great track record on that front, but Harvey Norman has seemed to have done pretty well. So you can't blame them for uh, the pandemic. They do very well out of that, by the way, but you know that was always going to cycle through. You can't blame them for supply chain disruptions. Um, and you know, just to hit back on the theory here, that a business is 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 really valued on the the um, all of its future cash flows discounted back to a present rate. So you've got to look past all of this. And I think those that can actually see opportunity uh, when these short-term factors, which are undoubtedly uh, negative, uh, impact because. You know, they this too shall pass. Um, so, uh, look, I, I'm with Michael. I don't think this um, should have been seen as a surprise. I think a lot of people were talking about it. Shares are still up 12% for the year. They're certainly well down on the highs they hit early on. But overall, it's it's been pretty good. Michael's absolutely right to talk about the, the comparisons to sort of pre-COVID, uh, where you sort of see uh, sales uh, up around 17% um, from, from FY19 levels. So uh, I, I think it's really reasonable to look past it. It's not, a, it's not a super exciting company. It's not a software hyper growth kind of business. Um, the PE looks really cheap on a historical basis when comparing to last year, so PE of nine, but even on a forward basis, looking at some of the consensus guidance out there, it's about 13. Um, you probably shouldn't expect that to ever get up to close to 20. It's historically traded around about that level. So for me, it's a, it's a hold. I think there are better opportunities out there, but it's, it's certainly not as bad as, as what these initial numbers might look like. Got it. Thank you, Andrew and Michael. Let's get on to the companies that our viewers have asked you guys to review. And the first one on the list is Pointera. 3DP is the ticker code for Louis. 
He says, I'm a long-term investor. So there's that background for you, Andrew. Thinking of taking a stake in 3DP. He believes the business does have a long growth pathway over the next 10 years is what he's pegged it at. Also wondering whether the 3D data could be used in the production of the metaverse, which we're hearing so much about lately. But he points out that it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride over the past 12 to 18 months. I mean, we have the yearly chart, which we'll see in just a sec, but he does think it appears to be in a short-term downtrade, which has made him very cautious about taking a position above the 30 cent mark, which is sitting at 37 cents. So what's the view of the experts? Gosh, I love that we've got all that background. So he's essentially in what it sounds like, Michael, looking for an entry point into Point Terra. Maybe you can start with how you view the fundamentals over the long term and whether or not you'd be buying and at what price. Yeah, so look, it's one of these interesting um, emerging tech companies. Um, Bevan Slathery, one of the founders of NextDC, MP1, Pipe Networks, those sorts of companies. So a very successful investor. I'm not sure if he was responsible for the spike earlier this year or the spike going back last year, but his involvement initially put a bit of a rocket under the share price. Um, and ever since that announcement, really, it started to fade back more to a more realistic price to where it was trading before he announced his involvement. So that's just something to keep in mind, not only for Pointera, but for all businesses, when you get a, a celebrity investor coming on board and you see a price reaction, just be a little bit wary of that because often people come along for the ride, um, but then they're not there for the long term. So, but in, look, in terms of this business, it's quite an exciting business. Um, it's involved in the commercialization of 3D geospatial technology. So essentially, what is that? Um, it's involved and used a lot by large infrastructure or asset managers. Um, it's also used a lot in the mapping industry, for instance, as well. Um, it's very difficult from my standpoint to get an understanding of all the competition that is out there in this space. Obviously, there are a couple of other companies doing a similar sort of thing, but their technology is very, very good and it allows for regular type businesses to create these high density um, and high clarity maps and images without the need for super computers or high performance computing. So the application across the various industries is picking up, which is good away from those traditional industries such as mapping. So they're targeting you know, utility sector, they're targeting the engineering and construction, oil and gas space. So they're broadening out their customer base, which is, which is a very good thing to do. Um, They've achieved cash flow break even, which is also a positive tick to have on their on their resume. Um, it was trading at an extremely high level of a multiple of revenue. That's since come back to still a very high level, but a lot more respectable than where it was. So, if you are looking to take a long term view of this company, I think there is a chance for it to do well. But just do keep in mind that there's a, a lot of optimism embedded in the share price. Uh, it is very, very expensive by any, not even traditional metrics, but any metrics. So just be careful of that. Um, and you'll likely see them continue to come to market, in my view at least, to continue to raise money to fund their development because it's a business that although it is generating some contract revenue, it, it's not a very large part of their business at this stage. There's still a lot of commercialization, uh, marketing and all that sort of stuff that needs to go on until they can boost up those numbers. So for mine, I'm happy to keep it as a hold, um, but it's not a buy at this stage. Hold. Thank you. Where would the interest for you lie in this company? Andrew, to get to the point about where potentially you'd look to buy in, do you have a view? I have a very strong view, Nadine. Um, it's a, a, a holding of mine. It has been since 2019. 
So they say that um, being early is the same as being wrong, but I'll, I'll happily prove that wrong in this instance. It was back at four cents. Let's not get too we'll smug, Andrew. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be very smug here because, you know, you've got you to take a victory lap when it comes along. But it's, it's a, I think it's a very good lesson for investors because we all sort of say, oh, we're long-term investors, and then we freak out when the share price moves uh, against us. And I think what you're seeing with the recent sort of correction uh, in the price is more a consequence of things just getting ridiculously silly. I took an opportunity to sell out at uh, higher levels, although to be fair, I sold out at lower levels as well because it just really took off. And uh, Bevan's stake in that really was was the catalyst for that. But it, it's a fascinating business. Um, they are genuine world leaders in uh, admittedly a, a niche industry, but one that's very uh, uh, rapidly evolving. And there's, some, there's a few characteristics I really look for. And this is a business that is extremely well placed to take advantage of a of a structural shift in the way that 3D data is is manipulated. It's pure software focused. Um, they have an incredible ability to scale. Michael's right. The thing looks insanely priced, uh, even with the pullback. It's on 65 times sales. But this is a business that when when transitions happen in industries, they tend to happen very quickly. A good example of this might be with Prometicus, in in terms of how that medical imaging um, uh, data was was received, manipulated, transferred, viewed, all that kind of stuff. When that transition occurs, it occurs very very rapidly. And I think Pointer is probably at that. So this is a business that, without having to squint too much, you could realistically say is on 50 million in sales by FY25, um, and one that should be able to scale really, really well. So on that basis, it actually looks pretty reasonable. So I actually took the opportunity to buy back in. It's going to be a hell of a bumpy ride, um, as they always are in this space. But if you are genuinely taking a long-term view, I think there's some really interesting um, potential with this. We had the CEO Ian Olsen come and speak to our members a month or two ago. He's a very down-to-earth guy, very operationally focused. He's not making big promises. He's very much, you know, head isn't in the clouds kind of stuff. And they see the opportunity. They see where they're well-placed. They're all about executing they're all about making sure that they uh, have a very uh, tight focus on cost discipline, which I think is a very big plus. Mm-hmm. Um, the market would probably give them a lot more more of a leash if, if they wanted to be a, a bit more, um, you know, to spend a lot more. But but they're not. Um, so I think it's I think it's actually pretty interesting. It's it's one of those businesses that, that is extremely hard to value because exponential growth is just very hard to imagine and 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 value. But it's on that trajectory. I mean, their annualized contract value was up 240% uh, in the last year. Mm-hmm. And it's likely to continue growing pretty rapidly. So high risk, very volatile. But for a long-term uh, patient investor, one that can withstand the, the volatility of the market, I think it's got a place in a portfolio. It's about a 4% holding for me. Is it a buy now at this price? Yes. Yeah, That's I think it. so. Even at 30 but don't, but don't write to me if it drops 20% because this is what happens. You know, I sort of boasted before I got in at four cents. It sat there for ages and then dropped 30% for a year. It, it's, it's, a, it's a tough ride, but that, that's the opportunity that a, that, a, that a private investor has is the ability to, to act long-term where all of the professionals mm. are measured and focusing on a 12-month basis. If you can look beyond all of that and you, you know, you're, not, you're not after this instant gratification that okay. we all crave, it's a wonderful opportunity. Great. Thank you. And um, 
I'll hand out your personal email address. I'm kidding. All right. <laughs> Money me for Michael. Not you, Michael, but a viewer has written in saying he's particularly keen for the experts to review the rapid growth of their auto pay produ- uh, product. He believes it has the potential to be the company's crown jewel going forward. What do you think, Michael Wayne? Look, Money Me, is, I must admit, it's not one I've come across before, but it's another one of these consumer lending type businesses that's out there at the moment. And they, there does seem to be a few of these getting around. Um, you think about things like Prosper, um, there's a Judo Bank, which is a slightly different target market. But you're definitely seeing a lot of these technological focused um, credit providers coming to market and they are making inroads, taking the lunch um, of the, the big four banks. Um, the big four banks probably aren't too concerned at just this stage, although they would have their eye on it for sure, because as a percentage of the market, it's still quite small. But something like a, a me money seems to be delivering very good uh, cash flow generation. Uh, their revenue continues to pick up quite nicely. It's only been listed for a couple of years, but the early signs are, are fairly good. Um, the revenue growth, as I mentioned, is being very good. Um, the gross customer receivables is up over you know 220%. So you can see all those key metrics are very good. The, the thing is, long term, can they continue to get access to capital so that they can lend that out? Um, are they also continuing to come to market and raising money to fund their strategic partnerships and to fund their different um, lending avenues? So these are all things that shareholders need to keep in mind. They recently mm-hmm. um, completed a, a, a capital raising about $50 million worth. That seems to be pretty well received by the market. But these capital raisings do tend to take the heat out of the share price, as you've probably seen it in recent times. So that is definitely something to to keep in mind. Look, for mine, I just don't know enough of the company. I'd have to monitor it for a little while yet and just try and understand exactly what this new product that they're offering is and how it is sort of consolidates their position and their market share in this market. So for mine, it's a, it's a sell just because I don't know enough about it. Got it. Thank you. Andrew, how about you? We'll just have to keep it a little bit tight. Yeah, okay. I'll keep it short. Michael's covered off all the key points there. Credit companies are hard. You know, they're, they're wonderfully profitable when done well, but it is a very competitive space. It's actually quite a capital intensive space as well. You can only lend out the money that you have. So very f- rapid growth means that you need more and more access to capital and there are funding cost pressures and risks and everything around that. But credit where it's due, they've, the, the new products that they've launched, AutoPay being one for auto finance, which is traditionally a very document heavy, slow turnaround kind of process. This they, they seem to be having um, some really good success there. Roll it all together, you're on a company that uh, is actually profitable. Uh, the PE is 30, that for a company growing as it has, admittedly off a small base. So you've got to be careful not to extrapolate these rates of growth uh, indefinitely. Um, but it doesn't look too onerous. But as Michael said, the devil's in the detail here. You'd need to, I, I'd need to look at it a lot closer before I could certainly endorse it. But, but yeah, I, I think it's probably worthy of a hold if you've already got it and you understand the business well. Thank you. Uh, Let's get on to the next company on the list, which is SDV. Skydev, I think is how we say it. It was at 90 cents three months ago, now at 60 cents. It has recently done a cap raise at 67, uh, saying that the last update was unremarkable, but he's wondering if the insiders, large shareholders know something that he doesn't know. Why would a company do a raise after such a plummet in share price instead of earlier? Let's start with you, Andrew. 
Yeah, it's always that dilemma, isn't it? The, the, when you're in buying into a company, you're in, you're explicitly saying the market's got it wrong, right? Because otherwise, where's the chance for, for our performance? Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's unavoidable. And when the price is falling, it does tend to make you second guess yourself. History would suggest that often the market is wrong in these kinds of uh, uh, scenarios. And that just because something is falling in price doesn't mean that it's it's a bad investment. Indeed, if the, the, the outlook of the business hasn't really changed that much, you're actually getting the same company for a cheaper price. And if we were buying socks, we'd see that as a good thing. But when we buy companies, we see it as a really bad thing. So um, look, this is a business that's that's uh, requires a bit of technical expertise. They, they do all kinds of uh, chemistry and process applications that help manage water purity. Mm-hmm. They separate solids and liquids, reduce waste. So it's used for oil and gas. It's used for uh, tu- uh, tunneling, construction, treatment facilities. And they've also got this really cool uh, treatment, a commercialized treatment product for PFAS, polyfluoroalkyl products, which if anyone saw the most recent John Oliver episode, you'll know that these are really nasty chemicals and they long lived and they build up in the environment and cause all kinds of problems. Horrible stuff. And I don't know why it's not banned, but you know, that's a, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Mm-hmm. But there are increasing regulatory pressures to sort of clean this up and they've got a good product that will do that. And sales have really jumped in recent years. There's only 3 million uh, in the top line not too long ago jumped to 42 million last year and in fact about 80 percent of that was organic so certainly some acquisitions helping there um but they seem as though they've they've really had some success in, in commercializing what they will do that was a big raise that they did it'll dilute shareholders by about 17 percent uh also COVID had a bit of an impact with restricting access to some client sites but it looks Andrew, like to me the as share though price cash- though is pretty much back to where it was five years ago so are you saying five years from now you have faith that this company's share price will will appreciate no, uh, no, sorry not five years ago back in 2019 apologies yeah it, it's I, it, look I don't know I only heard of the company when the producer sent it through to me yesterday mm-hmm. afternoon so I'm, I'm by no means an expert on it but I think potentially here you have another classic example of a company that starts to kick some goals the market gets super excited about it and just goes beyond what is reasonable. So you have a situation where the business, forget about the share price and just look at what the business has done. It's only gone from strength to strength to strength. They're raising more capital to accelerate that and to capitalize on their opportunities. Now, if the market gets ahead of itself, is that the business's fault? I don't think so. It means that you as an investor really, as always, have to have an eye on value and, and yeah. resist the temptation to get into a sexy stock just because the share price, this is point terror. You know, Do you and, think and a million that this is reasons. a buy, sorry, uh, just, just to keep things moving along, is this a buy? hold or sell, given that you don't know a lot about the business, given that you've seen this sort of price action, are you willing to take a a, a calculated risk that the share price is going to rise? No, I don't take any any investments without really thoroughly understanding the business. And, uh, you know, 15 minutes of due diligence doesn't cut it for me. So in good conscience, I can't recommend it as a buy, although I think it certainly has merit and warrants further investigation. So I'll, I'll, I'll cop out again and say a hold. So it's on the watch list, though, something that you can um, look into further. Michael, do you have any sort of insight you know, to the question, why would a company do a raise after such a plummet in the share price instead of earlier? Does that give you a bit of an amber flashing light about this company? Not necessarily. I mean, timing in an ideal world, they would have done it at a higher price. And companies are often very good at doing that. Uh, but they do have expansion targets to meet. And the fact is they are building out their manufacturing capability. 
Um, they're improving their laboratories. So they need money to do those sorts of things. Um, and although they are improving their cash receipts slowly over time, it's not enough to, to support themselves internally without going back to the market. So look, it seems to be a pretty noble business doing um, a, a wonderful thing in what is a more topical area of the market. People are conscious of these ESG um, type endeavours and it, it's definitely captured the attention obviously of, of that community um, but it, ultimately a business is a business and it needs to deliver on the metrics and, and look so far it's making progress but it comes off a, a very low base going back a couple of years it's it's bounced it's now retraced off its highs but again it's a company I'm not that familiar with so I can't give it a hold or advice I'm going to have to give it a, a sell. I'm sensing a theme here let's see what you guys make of the next company on on the list, which is Family Zone, F-Z-O. This is for Sandy. Questioning about whether or not it's a buying opportunity after a pullback that has been seen recently. Michael Wayne. Yeah, an interesting one. I think this has come up um, once before. Um, I think we sort of made the comment last time, would have hated to be a kid when this was around. Uh, essentially, it allows parents and, and schools to monitor and control the um, the screen time of their kids and, and of their students. Um, they've done a great job of making inroads into the market in the US. They've got an enormous number of schools using this platform. Uh, they've got a number of parents as well, obviously, using it. So they continue to go around uh, and basically um, sign more contracts. So they've got, I think, about 10 million students using this technology, 20,000 schools, $45 million of average recurring revenue. Um, they recently completed a, a round of raising to continue to to drive that expansion. And, and lo and behold, when they did the raising back in August, that was the, the most recent peak in the share price. So it was a large, large raising as well, so highly dilutive. And this is a, probably a recurring theme that we're seeing again today. You've got to always be careful of that. Um, but look, it's not a business that we hold, but one that we have looked into a little bit um, just to sort of monitor what's going on in this space. Because we do think that it will become more prevalent as time goes on. Um, it's on the, the watch list, so I'll give it a hold, but it's not a buy at the moment. Thank you. What do you think of Family Zone FZO, Andrew? Yeah, it, it's it's a very interesting business, one that I hadn't come across uh, until I was on this show uh, not too long ago. It looks insanely expensive at 45 times trailing sales, but the, the devil's in the detail here. They had a big acquisition of a company called Smoothwall, US uh, company, I believe, perhaps UK, certainly overseas. In fact, most of their business is overseas. And that's actually boosted their annualized recurring revenue up to about 50 million. So the shares are on about four times that, which isn't outrageous for a, uh, a large uh, a company with a large addressable market growing pretty rapidly uh, as well. So um, one of the things, I think you need to consider here is that your product doesn't become someone else's feature. So I, I, one of my initial thoughts was what happens potentially if Chrome decides to incorporate some of some of this kind of functionality just within the browser settings and maybe that's not their focus and they've got bigger fish to fry, but it is something that, that I, I do would want to dig into more to understand it. But as Michael said, the metrics all seem to be moving in the right direction. There is a big market opportunity. Uh, anyone with kids knows the value of being able to manage what sites they access and um, how much time they spend on screens. I think they quoted something like, you know, two out of three parents think their kids spend too much time on the screens. I know it's certainly true for our kids. So I think it's got, I think it's got good potential. Um, so for me, it's again one for the for the for the watch list. It doesn't seem too onerous. The things to watch here 
year would be that continued traction in their top line and an ability to scale without seeing their their costs blow out. And and that is something that we have seen. So that while the revenue's grown really well, you know, they lost $14 million on a statutory basis in 2019, $17 million last year and 22 million, sorry, 22, 17 million in 2020, and then 22 million last year. So as they've grown, their costs uh, have grown even more. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes you've got to go for the land grab, but at some point you want to see that pivot and see the operational leverage work in your favor. So until I see that, that's probably an avoid for me. Thank you. Avoid. Let's get to the last on the list before the halfway mark. And for that, we're talking iShares S&P 500 ETF Aussie dollar. IVV is the ticker code. Now, I know you're more of a a stock picking, well, both of you individual stock picking guys, but uh, still, I think it's worthwhile because, you know, there is a place in many portfolios for ETFs, particularly, I suppose, if you're not inclined to do global share picking yourself. Is that correct, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. We are experts, I suppose, in the domestic equity market, and that's where we use direct shares. But when it comes to international, we use a lot of ETFs. Um, as well as some LICs and ETMFs, etc. Um, and this ETF is one that we do hold, but we don't hold it in the hedged form. We hold it in the unhedged form um, because what we find and what a lot of fund managers are finding these days in super funds is that it's better to not be hedged for your international exposure because when you get a big fall in US equity markets, the US dollar often rallies versus the Australian dollar and at least offsets some of that negativity. But in any case, we think if you're a long-term investor, you're looking for some broad quality exposure into the US, this is a a low cost, um, good way to do it. You've got to understand the underlying exposures as always with these ETFs. And I think most investors would be comfortable knowing that they hold at least some, you know, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Teslas, um, Google, Facebook, these sorts of companies for the long term. So we're happy to have a hold on this, although our preference would be for the unhedged version over the hedged. Thank you. So if you hold it, would you be happy to hold it if somebody already owns it? Yeah, it's it's, it's look, it's a it's a buy. I'll give it a buy, but the preference yep. is still for the unhedged version. Yeah. Uh, for a very long-term investor, I think you can expect to do quite well, smoothed out over a ten-year basis. It's mm-hmm. unlikely you'll do as well as the previous ten years, but nevertheless, you should be out, you know, somewhere close to a ten percent return uh, over that long-term uh, period. You would expect based on history. Andrew. Now, I know that the ASX is your universe. So if you were looking for exposure to global equities, I mean, is this a safe way to do it? Or are there more, you know, more lucrative potentially ways that you could gain access to some of those listed companies on the S&P 500? Uh, no, I think it's an entirely sensible way. And uh, yeah, I'm a stock picker, but I've got a bunch of ETFs uh, for for overseas exposure. I don't have this particular one, but look, the management expense, expense ratio is 0.03%. So it's, it's virtually nothing. Michael said it gives you exposure to all of these wonderful large US companies. It's a no brainer. I kind of, I think if most few people really, when it comes down to it, enjoy the the challenge and stress of stock picking. It's, it's a very difficult um, uh, process. This is a no-brainer. Um, if, if my advice usually to friends and family is to pick an ETF like this, very broad-based, low-cost index tracking ETF, put a bit of money into it and just commit to add a little bit whenever you get some spare change in dollar cost average. It sounds so simple as to be not worthwhile. And we tend to think in this industry that the more complex your strategy, the better you'll do. 
All evidence suggests that that is not true. And I think, you know, Michael's probably right. I think that the next 10 years will be a bit, bit harder than the last 10 years. But if someone's got a, a long-term investment horizon and they follow that very, very simple strategy, will you look back in the future and think, well, potentially, theoretically, I could have done better? Well, of course. Um, but you could do a lot worse as well. And you'll probably outperform a lot of the experts when you when you account for fees and that. So it's a no-brainer for, for me. I, I, think, I think it's a very sensible way to get exposure to the US market. Thank you. All right, guys, believe it or not, we're at the halfway mark already. So I'll run you through what we've learned so far. In terms of the stock of the day, it is a sell for Michael. It is, though, still in an upward trend. He says it's just, you know, it's really difficult to to compare what's happening now to what happened in the in the pandemic. Uh, Andrew says, look, it's a long term investment. It hasn't been a bad one, uh, but it's a hold. Nobody, both guys say nobody should be surprised to see these sales wane. Now, getting to the companies that are on the list, Pontera was the first one. It's a buy. It's a it's a very strong view coming from Andrew. He wouldn't even wait for it to fall further again. Take a long term view. It's a hold uh, if you're taking a long term view from Michael Wayne. Um, but he does caution that there's likely more cash that will be needed to pursue its growth plans. Number two on the list, Money Me. Look, it's a sell. Uh, the thing for, for Michael Wayne is that it's always got to look for more capital at reasonable cost as it continues to grow. He doesn't say that he's overly familiar with the company, so he'd like to do some more to your specific point about that new business to, uh, to figure out exactly how that's going to pan out in the future. It's a hold for Andrew as well because he says, look, credit companies, generally speaking, are hard. Number three on the list, SDV for Phil, thank you, Phil. It's a sell in terms of Michael Wayne. It needs to deliver. It is making progress, but it needs to deliver. He's just not convinced that he'd be buying it now. And he doesn't hold it, so he won't give it a hold. It's a hold for Andrew Page. It's on his watch list. Sales have jumped, but again, needs to see how things would continue to pan out before he would commit. Family Zone, it's an avoid. It's on Andrew's watch list, but he says it's insanely expensive really for what it is. You need to watch those cost blowouts and how they manage costs going forward. It's a hold for Michael Wayne. It's on his watch list uh, because it is in a space that you know that there's demand there. Monitoring screen time, schools, parents are on its books, but we want to see more of those contract wins coming through. And then number five on the list was the iShares S&P 500 ETF. Michael Wayne would prefer to get the unhedged version of this product. But look, he says it's low cost. It gives you exposure. Good for a long time investor. You do still need to research what's under the hood, as is in the case in all of these ETFs. But it's a buy for him. It's buy for Andrew Page as well. It's entirely sensible. It's a no brainer way to gain exposure to the U.S. markets if that's not what you're going to be spending a lot of your time getting to know, stock picking, tracking, put some money in, dollar cost average up. 10 years from now, 15, I mean, you're going to be feeling pretty chuffed with yourself overall. So that is uh, what we've learned so far today. Now, we have this portfolio. It's a fantasy portfolio, but we've been tracking it since July of 1st last year. Huge thanks to our partner, NAB Trade. So the companies that get two thumbs up or a buy from both of our guests go in the portfolio. 
Not got there quite today, but we'll see what happens in the second half of the program. Look, over the week, we're up about, or, sorry, down about 1% on the month, up about 2% higher. Year to date, we're up 9.5%. Uh, but I mentioned that inception point, and both of my guests today have had a hand in this. We're up by close to 48%. We've added recently Globe, Atlas Arteria, Virtus Health, Brambles, and Capital Health. We've removed Telstra, Janice Henderson, Southern Cross Media as well. So take a look at that. Just go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And uh, we always keep a pulse on what's happening there. Again, thanks. Thanks, Snaptrade. Think having an SMSF is hard? Well, think again. Set up your own SMSF completely online with Stake Super and invest your super with freedom. There's no paperwork and Stake does all the admin. You just focus on the investing. Let's continue on, shall we? Sophie has written in, uh, flipped my page over, asking about Brickworks. Well, Sophie, if you'd like to listen to an interview I conducted in the wake of the AGM with the CEO, Lindsay Partridge, it is up online. Gentlemen, Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial, Andrew Page from strawman.com. Look, times are good in the property market, but I've got to say, in this conversation, it became quite evident that there are pressures on labor, there's pressures on cost, so much so that Lindsay Partridge said that here in Australia, he expects to see a lot of insolvencies in the small end of the building space because they contracted this work pre-lockdowns. In the meantime, prices have gone up, margins are being squeezed. So, Michael, it seems, you know, everything is not going swimmingly in the building space, but Brickworks, well, what's it out, its outlook like in your view? I mean, Brickworks, although it's involved in the manufacturing of a diverse range of building products, primarily bricks, um, about 60% of its enterprise value is made up of Washington salt pats. So that does offer them um, a lot of protection from the cyclical nature of the building and construction industry. Um, they are a dominant um, provider of bricks in this country. They have about 47% of the market share here in Australia, close to 10% in the US, which is a more highly fragmented market. Um, but you can also um, look at the property investments of Brickworks and, and look at that, and it makes up roughly 30% of their business. So between the property holdings um, and their cross ownership structure with Washington Soul Pats, uh, ultimately the actual construction industry has little bearing or, or not as much bearing as many people would think for, for a business like Brickworks. It's, it's not a bad company by any means. Um, it's been a solid performer over a very long period of time. Its dividends per shares increased gradually and consistently over the last decade. Um, and I think, look, an investor in a business like this can expect to achieve okay returns without anything being spectacular. And a lot of people are comfortable with that. Whether you hold Brickworks or whether you just hold Soul Pats is a, is a matter for each individual. My preference is probably just Soul Pats for that pure um, exposure to that um, Milner family business. Um, so look, from my standpoint, Brickworks would be a hold um, from a, a long-term perspective. I just think there are probably better alternatives elsewhere um, when looking at something like this, probably Soul Pats being that alternative. Got it. Thank you. What about you, Andrew Page, Brickworks? 
Yeah, it's hard to think of a more boring business. Um, unless that is you like very stable and consistent returns. Um, Michael said that they haven't decreased their dividend in 10 years. It actually, it's 45 years since they last saw a reduction in their dividends. And not once over all those recessions and hiccups and economic woes have they cut their dividend. In fact, it's actually grown at a pretty decent clip. And despite the very boring nature of their business, the very large mature business that it is, it still delivered shareholders a 13, 14% compound annual turnover the last 10 years, uh, uh, um, uh, over 20 years, it's 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 basically doubled in value every seven years. So it's it's incredibly well run. What's really interesting about this business is that, I mean, the, the ownership structure is quite complex, but for the sake of the mental exercise, if you took all of their net assets and you paid down all of their debt and you divided that by when you sold everything you could on market at market rates and you divided that by the number of shares, you've actually got something that equates to about 29.80 per share, according to their latest statement, which is quite a bit of a premium on, on where they are at the moment. Doesn't mean that, that the market is going to get there anytime soon. And often these things do trade at a discount to their net asset value. But it shows you just how uh, safe I think this business is. Um, they've got some wonderful land banks here. They've partnered with Goodman Group in Goodman Group in a joint venture, 50-50. They supply the land. Goodman Group supply the the uh, development and the rest of it. <clears throat> it's been a very, very profitable partnership. Uh, as Michael said, you get 26% odd, odd, 20 they own 26 percent uh, of Washington H. Sol Pattinson, so that cross ownership gives you exposure to another very well-run company. Yeah, it's it's not exciting, but it's it's the classic bottom draw stock, and so uh, it's not going to be a Tesla or an Afterpay or anything like that. But if you want something that's really easy to sleep at night, lots of reliable dividends, I think it's hard to go past. So on that basis, for me, it's a buy. Well, look, I know you guys aren't excited by it, but uh, Lindsay Partridge, very excited about one of their flagship shops that are opening in New York next year. And I've got to tell you, his backdrop was some pretty smart looking bricks. All right, on to uh, the next company on the list, shall we? And we're getting into... Uh, APA Group. So APA Group, I don't have a lot of um, detail on it, but just wondering a view on APA. Of course, it's acquired interest in the debt of Nexus Australia Management. Do you think it would be a reasonable income stock to buy? So keeping with that dividend theme. Hey, Michael, let's start with you. Yeah, look, I mean, APA um, is, is, a, is, a, is a big favourite of a lot of investors because of that income and that yield that it does provide. I think the dividend yield at the moment is around 5.5%. Um, it's been steadily growing again for, for a decade, probably a little bit more than that as well. Um, it's not a franked dividend, so that's something to keep in mind just given the nature of the structure. Um, but investors need to be careful, I think, in my view, that from a long-term standpoint, this business has gone into the gas pipeline market and really has a monopoly in that space, which means going forward for them to continue to find acquisitions to grow um, might draw the ire of the regulator, um, particularly given that utility bills have been on an upward trajectory for a long time now. So that's just something to keep in mind. Um, you also got to keep in mind a scenario where interest rates do pick up. Um, a lot's being made of inflation and bond yields rising and that sort of thing. And given this company holds a lot of debt, um, just given the nature of the business, that could become an issue if interest rates do pick up and bond yields do 
drive higher over the long run. A lot of that stuff will be hedged out in the short term, but if it is persistent, it will become a factor for them. It also makes their dividend yield look less attractive relative to the cash rate, et cetera. So they're different, definitely dynamics to think of because there's no doubt it's a business that has benefited from that thirst for yield. It does trade on very sort of lofty multiples, um, but I just don't know where the growth drivers are going to come for a company like this going forward given the competitive landscape and that regulatory risk. So for mine, if you're looking purely for a dividend um, and you're looking for a solid income payer, then you could justify it in a portfolio. But from a, a growth investor standpoint, such as myself, it's a hole because I just think you could get better returns elsewhere because a very high quality company. Thank you. Andrew, APA Group for you. Yeah, I look at it, it again. It's it's not super exciting, but if you like your your distributions, then yeah, five and a half percent is pretty decent. They've also got a very very long record. I think back to two thousand and six, where they haven't cut the dividend. Now, dividend has has grown on average by about five percent over that that time frame. Now, there's a really nice sort of um, uh, hack. For investors on income stocks, if you want to work out your long-term total return, you can you take your starting yield, in this case 5.5%, and you add to that the amount that you think those dividends can grow at long-term. So if you layer onto the future what they've done in the past, add 5 to 5.5%, you get a, a total shareholder return of about 10%. That does assume reinvestment, by the way, but it's a really nice yardstick in which, in which to judge some of these companies. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's far from terrible. Um, they're very highly regulated. They are making more moves into transmission and energy generation, in particular renewables. Gas is probably a good transition uh, energy source as we hopefully uh, undergo a more rapid uh, transition there. So yeah, it's not going to shoot the lights out. I think there's better opportunities elsewhere. But if you are an income investor uh, and you are happy with perhaps, you know, sort of uh, seven to nine percent average returns going forward, which is probably what it's going to be, then I think you could do you could do worse. But but for me, it's it's a pass. It's a pass. But if you held it, uh, well, you wouldn't buy it. You wouldn't buy it, even if it was for income. Well, it, the, 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 one of the things for, for investors to always think about is this little thing called opportunity cost. So mm-hmm. we say no to a lot of, well, I say no to a lot of companies on this show, and it, it, I don't want to infer that I think they're terrible, and it's just not not for me. So whenever, yeah. look, when you say no to an investment, you say no to an investment. When you say yes to an investment, you say no to all other investments. So you've <laughs> got to be very, very, very picky. Um, I forget who said that, but it's a great quote, and I'm going to steal it. But but um, so so for me, no, uh, I, okay. I think you will do as Michael said, you'll do better elsewhere. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't if, if, if income is your thing. Got it. Thank you. Now, let's get to one that's a, a little bit sexy still, end of 2021. But it feels as if the heat's coming out a bit. Afterpay, APT. This is for Warren. No context. So let's stick with the script. Now, would you be buying, holding, or selling Afterpay? Emma, uh, let's start with you, Andrew. It's 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 a bit of a mute point because of the the takeover with Square. There's there's a EGM coming up mm-hmm. in December, which shareholders will be able to vote on. It's very likely to go through, which means that for uh, every share in Afterpay, you're going to get 0.375 uh, shares in Square. A very big company. It's about seven times larger than Afterpay. This is a Jack Dorsey company, so you know the founder of Twitter. Very well run. Very attractive um, uh, outlook potentially for that. But it's one. That's what you've got to think about here, Warren. It's not buying Afterpay. You, you, you do you want to buy Square shares? I think they're talking about an Australian listing or at least in a CDI kind of capacity. Um, 
So that's what you've got to look at here. That that's, that d- determines everything really at this point. So you, you you're not you're buying a very small part. Um, uh, well, if you're buying afterpay shares today, you're 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 essentially buying a smaller part of Square, and that's the analysis. So for me, as I've said before, my offshore exposure is almost entirely through ETFs. So for me, it's it's no. Thank you. And uh, Michael, anything to add? Um, no, I think Andrew's hit the nail on the head. Really, it's um, it's used to be sexy, but not so much at the moment. It's just biding its time on the ASX until this takeover goes through. Um, Square have used their very expensive script um, to purchase Afterpay smartly. Um, I think at one point there, Square's um, trailing 12-month PE was up around 200 times around the time they did the acquisition of Afterpay. So, yeah, quite an intelligent move there. They're not not stupid in, in any sense. Um, the fact is that Afterpay will make up about 20% of the of the um, of the um, the Square listing. Um, it'll be listed in the US. So the Afterpay shareholders will get the option to take up the shares in the US or take up the CDIs in Australia. Um, and effectively now you're just bobbing up and down with the share price of Square if you're an Afterpay shareholder. So from my standpoint, I wouldn't be buying it. Um, I wouldn't be holding it either. I'd be selling it unless I wanted to have a position in Square and I'd have to do research into that. But Square's not the worst business in the world. There's a lot of synergies potentially to be had there. So it's worth doing your research and looking into it um, because Yes, Square is an exciting growth company in the US, but the valuation is very, very lofty. So if we see the NASDAQ down, you know, at percent last night, a percent tomorrow, a percent next day, Mm. Square can back pretty quickly. Got it. Thank you. Number nine on the list. Gentlemen, we're rolling through this show. Hazer Group, HZR for Tim. I had the opportunity to speak with the CEO just yesterday as well. Jeff Wilson, I feel like I'm I'm dropping um, names here, but so be it. It is in the hydrogen space. So it takes gas through its unique technology, turns it into hydrogen and has the byproduct of high quality uh, graphite. There's no uh, carbon emissions when it does this process, but it is early days still. It's small scale. However, we know the hype around hydrogen and the promise that it holds as we decarbonize this, well, this economy, uh, the, the globe, really. Andrew, what do you think of Hazer Group? Yeah, fascinating technology, but at this stage, uh, not demonstrated at scale. So they've never sold a single cent worth of anything. Um, they're building this big um, demonstration plant over in WA. Um, that's a bit of a cost blowout and a time blowout on that, as is as is often the case with these things. And so that's not ready due to be completed until the first quarter of the next financial year. Um, so look, they've got $27 million in cash. Last quarter, they burned through about one point four million um, but I mean it's just it's so difficult to to value this will that will it be as successful as as they hope um, will they manage to sell enough of this yes it's super exciting but it just I just don't know where to start on a business like this I wish them every success because it's a, it's an important process and if they can do it in a carbon neutral way then that's that is fantastic but this is this is highly speculative stuff at this stage so it's a pass from me thank you now <laughs> I know it's early stage, and uh, Michael, but you, you know we know the hype that's happening around hydrogen. Or do you think that the share price performance that we've seen lately is in fact hype and not necessarily related to the financial metrics of the group? 
it's hard to dis- discern that. I mean, there's been a lot and a lot of discussion, particularly in recent times, about hydrogen. Um, that discussion's unlikely to die down anytime soon, but it's not going to be good enough to, um, just to make a company good. So the company's going to have to deliver on its on what it's saying. Um, it's going to have to continue to manufacture things on time and on budget and develop the technology. And look, it's probably got as good a hope as anything else in this space at the moment, but it is an industry in its infancy. um, And there are a lot of risks um, that need to be overcome in order to deliver and succeed. So for that reason, it's very much on the speculative end of the scale. If you are looking for some hydrogen exposure because you like the the long-term thematic there, Consider this um, one of maybe a few options in the space that you want to put together in a micro mini portfolio because trying to pick the winner today is going to be a very difficult task. And no matter how prevalent hydrogen becomes in society, um, doesn't guarantee the success of this company. So just keep that in mind. Uh, always look at the granular. Don't just look at the macro because the macro is never um, good enough to get you over the line. Just look at the airline industry. Uh, just look at the the automobile industry and countless other industries in history where there's been greater and greater adoption, but there's been uh, a countless number of companies that have failed along the way. So, yeah, good, good proposition, good, exciting, emerging company in the space, but a long way to go until they deliver um, and become a profitable or growing revenue company. Okay, so that is a one for the watch list. One for the watch list. Okay, let's get to the final company on the list, and that is Temple and Webster. We started with, well, retail, and we're ending with retail, but of a different kind. Online again, uh, really did well through the pandemic. This is for Holly. Uh, the share price over the past year has been quite twitchy, you gotta say. Um, looking at that chart that's on the screen right now. Michael, I'll start with you. Would you be buying Temple and Webster now? And keep in mind that there's been this paradigm shift, as you well know, to shopping online. Yeah, look, I would lump this in a similar basket to Harvey Norman um, in terms of that broader thematic. It's probably a high quality um, retailer, which is aligned to the growth in the online space. And they've done a tremendous job in growing the business. Um, They've got a a very good little ecosystem of customers as well using the online portal. Um, They're trading on very lofty multiples though. So although the last 12 months um, hasn't been that great, if you look over say that five year period, it's been unbelievable. So a bit of context is always required. And you have to remember the market is forward looking. So although they have been delivering some very, very good numbers, the market was expecting that because of COVID. And likewise, they're probably expecting these numbers to cycle through a softer patch now that they've come out the other side of COVID. So keep that in mind. It does trade on 52 times forward earnings and that's very expensive particularly for a retailer Um, however this is a new age retailer using a lot of the online technologies available to them to boost up their margins and the question will be how do they come out of the the next few weeks um, as we or next few months as we come out of this lockdown and whether they can sustain the, the wonderful run rate that they've been on which is unlikely but it would just be interesting to see where they land um, between where they were pre-COVID and where they are mm-hmm. today. Can they sort of land somewhere in between? But it's a it's a hold for mine. Um, it's not a buy. If I pull back enough, I'll definitely look at it though. Thank you. Andrew, how about you? Temple and Webster. 
Yeah, I'll keep it quick because I know we're short on time. I think it's a fantastic business. They've done incredibly well. They're still at a very early stage. Uh, you know, the, the furniture isn't something that most of us think of when we think of online shopping. And so I think only about 10% of the furniture market is lo- online. I think that's rapidly changing, particularly with some of the augmented reality stuff that they're doing, which is really cool. So you point your smartphone at your living room and just place various mm-hmm. items of furniture in there, uh, which is which is pretty cool. And, and they, they seem to be um, getting some really rapid growth. They're heavily reinvested or everything that they make into the business for growth, which is exactly the right thing to do. I just feel as though too much is in the price at, at this stage. So even if you sort of compound top line growth at 20% for a decade and assume a really attractive net margin at the end of all of that, you have a share price that I think has gotten ahead of itself. So definitely one for the watch list, but, but not for now. Well, thank you, Andrew. So watch list stuff. Look, we've come to the end of the program and we've done it on time as well. Koshi will be very proud of me for making it up. Uh, Michael Wayne Medallion Financial, can't wait to see you in person sometime soon. Andrew Page from strawman.com. Again, same goes for you. Look forward to it. I hope you guys have a great afternoon and we'll speak soon. See you later. See you guys. All right, quickly I'll run you through Brickworks. Look, it doesn't light any of their houses on fire. Excuse that uh, awkward pun, but it's a hold for both because it has done well. It has paid a steady dividend, in fact, increased its dividend, I think, over the past 45 years. This is, in Andrew's view, a classic bottom drawer stock, but they won't be rushing out to buy it because of a point that Andrew brings up in terms of APA group, which is opportunity cost. So if you buy APA, that means that you are not buying something else. Is it worth it? Look, it's an avoid for him because it's not exciting. You don't have that growth potential. Same goes for Michael Wayne. He says it's a hold if you're really interested in that income. But again, what do you say? sacrificing in terms of growth for that income. Afterpay, it's a moot point for Andrew. He would sell. It's a sell for uh, Michael because he says, you know, you'd get this stake in Square, but perhaps that's not what you want. Perhaps there's another way to gain exposure to that company regardless. And look, it's a pass when it comes to number nine on our list, which is Hazer Group, because Andrew just doesn't know where to start ascribing value to this company because it is so early in its uh, development and they haven't proven anything to scale. Again, it's a watch list company for Michael Wayne because it's got an interesting story, but again, there's still a lot to prove. Now, final on the list, Temple and Webster, a hold for Michael Wayne. Very good ecosystem. It's expensive. He'd be looking to buy on a pullback. Now, I know the question is pullback to what extent? Just didn't have time to get there in the end. But it's on the watch list for Andrew Page as well because he says it's a fantastic business. But again, it's price. It's too expensive for both of our guests to be buying today. And that is what the show is all about. Buy, hold or sell these companies on the day. Let's Thank you again for watching. Thanks our guests again for joining us. And thanks to all of our viewers who have written in to nominate their stock. You can do it as well at the call at ausbiz.com.au. You can check out that portfolio. Thanks to our partners at NabTrade, ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter. There's lots in it. We love it. We love putting it together. We've got a view every day. Today, Annette is writing about the RBNZ. And if you'd like to sign up and you haven't already, you can do so at osbiz.co forward slash the C-O-B.